We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now, as you all know, we started a new decade this past Wednesday. It's shocking to believe that the 2010s are over, and someday in the future we're going to be having 2010 parties. It still feels strange to me that my kids have 1980s parties, and they're wearing clothes I wore when I was in junior high. Now we're in the 20s, and you wonder if it's going to be the roaring 20s again. But I'm not sure. <coughs> Regardless, if you read the news outlets, you see people who are, some are optimistic about the decade and some are pessimistic. Some feel like there's a sense of opportunity. They're excited. Or some, and some have a sense of concern and fear. Frederick Kempe says he's doing this. He says, I'm going to act on the advice of Winston Churchill. He's going to be optimistic. I'll instead close my year with a hopeful note. A pessimist, he says, sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. He declared himself an optimist. It does not seem to be much use to be anything else. And so Kempe says, here's six reasons, and he goes on to list Reasons that we can be optimistic in 2020. Things like global poverty, it's down. Violent conflicts have declined. Technology and all the blessings it brings is on the rise. And so Mr. Kemp, Kempe is an optimist. But some, many, are not. They find themselves standing at the cusp of a new decade, looking forward with a foreshadowing, a foreboding sense of fear. People are afraid of AI. The 2020 election. Recession, climate change, even war. Ernst Becker, the cultural anthropologist from the last century, described what I think many feel when he said, I think that taking life seriously means something like this. Whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation of the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it is false. Some people feel the rumble of panic under everything in their lives, and they are pessimistic. The question I put to you this morning is this. Should we be optimistic, looking at the signs in our culture saying, yeah, things are going to be okay? Or should we be pessimistic, looking at the things in our world and saying, no, we are doomed. Things are going poorly. Now, the challenge with both optimists and pessimists in our culture is that their eyes are on the culture determining how they should feel about themselves. We as Christians point our eyes in a different direction. We as Christians, we as Christians at Center Church, point our eyes to the Lord. And we look at his word. We don't first look at the world and ask, am I optimistic or pessimistic? We first look at God's word and let him have the final word. We look at God's word to let him inform and conform our perspectives according to what he thinks. Because his word is unchanging. Financial financial climates will change. Political parties come and go. The economy goes up and down. The housing market fluctuates. 
Happiness goes up and it goes down, but the Word of God stands forever. And so the call for us today is to let this Word, the Word of God, the very Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, resound in our lives. That's the goal, resound. If you remember one word from this sermon, it's this, resound. Let this Word resound in you. We want this word to resound. We want, to, we want the word of God, this book here, to inform our lives, to instruct our lives, to guide our lives, to direct and lead our lives. We want to be built by this book. We want it to resound in our lives. We must be a people of the book. We are not defined by our political affiliation, nor are we defined by our socioeconomic class, nor are we primarily defined by our race. We are defined instead by this book. We ought to be a people who resound with the Word of God. That's the goal. Resound. Let the Word of God resound. Now in this new new decade, we go to an old story in this old book to find contemporary guidance in this new decade, going back millennia to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 and end at verse 9. You can follow along with me as I read. My translation is the English Standard Version. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord, you promise to be with us as a people. 
just the same as you promised to Joshua. And so, Lord, as we consider your word, may, us, may we not sit in judgment, but may we instead hear your voice this morning through the preaching of your word. May you speak today. You promise not to, you promise not to leave Joshua nor to forsake him. You make the same promise to us. And we lean on that promise today and say, be with us this morning in power through your spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. We want the word to resound. That was the message God gave to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Two points this morning, certain t- uncertain times and the certain word. First, uncertain times. Now, we're not the only ones that have lived through uncertain times. Joshua records a time of uncertainty in the nation of Israel. Moses, the only leader, the most successful leader in the nation of Israel's history, save David, was now dead. Moses had led the people from slavery in Egypt to the very cusp of the promised land on the banks of the Jordan River. But for reasons of disobedience, Moses was not allowed to enter. Moses' last words are the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to know what his last words were, his last will and testament and his last words to the people, Deuteronomy chapter 1 all the way through verse 33. At the end, we read his epilogue written by someone else. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, not in the promised land, according to the word of the Lord. He, being the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. They loved him. When the days of weeping and mourning, then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And then just to make it, make it clear how unique Moses was, verse 10 says, And there has not risen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. The end of Deuteronomy says Moses is unique, and yet at the beginning of Joshua, we find this, Moses is dead. Joshua was now to lead the people, but Joshua was no Moses. And you know who knew this the most? Joshua. He got this. And the people recognized, oh my, this isn't going to be the same. Notice that there we see at the end of Deuteronomy, verse 10, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Why? Because the Lord knew him face to face. Moses would speak in the tent of meeting to the Lord, Exodus tells us, as if two friends would talk one to another. So face to face, God sat with Moses, and Moses knew God face to face. And he led the nation. And here's Joshua. Here's Joshua. Now Joshua would not know God face to face like Moses did. 
But God was with Joshua just the same. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And then he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he goes on, I will not leave you or forsake you. Then he says, be strong and courageous. So most of the time when we come to the book of Joshua, we pull out be strong and courageous and assume that the strength and courage comes from the strength of will that Joshua worked up inside of himself to be something better than he was. Quite the contrary. God says, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. Therefore, be strong and courageous. We can't be strong and courageous unless we recognize God is with us. It was the same holding true there for Joshua. Now, I want you to see, Joshua, Moses met with God face to face. He knew God was with him. How does God show Joshua that he would be with him as well? Verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you, shall, you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Here's the idea. God spoke with Moses face to face. Joshua knew Moses through his word. That's helpful for me. That's helpful for me because none of us in this room are going to know in this life God face to face. We will not know what it is like to have coffee with God at at Starbucks. We will not, one of us, sit in the tent of meeting. We will not ever have the opportunity to face God face to face in this life and live. But we can have this word be on our lips and meditate on this word day and night. And you might say, well, this is only for Joshua. I mean, what about, this doesn't seem to apply to me. Well, the writer to the Hebrews applies it to you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, we're not talking about money, but we all know that meant that it's very tempting to build our lives around money and what we have instead of on the Lord. And so we see the writer to the Hebrews pull Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 here and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, despite the uncertainties of our life, God promises, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. How can we know this? How do we know? We don't see him. We can't touch him. How do we know? Well, like Joshua, we have his word. We actually have more than Joshua. Joshua only had Genesis to Deuteronomy. We have Genesis to Revelation. So how can we know that God is with us? How can we know that God will not forsake us? How can we know that God is here with us and will not wander away? We have his word, and he tells us that. See, the problem is, most of the time in our lives, it doesn't feel like God is with us. It doesn't feel that way when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night. It doesn't feel that way when we're tempted. It seems that we're alone, and we're fighting for ourselves, by ourselves. 
This is why the Word of God needs to resound in our lives. We need God's Word bouncing around in our head and on our lips so that we can remember that though it seems like we're alone, though we don't see anybody around us, we are not. And God has promised, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. So the Word of God must resound. We go from uncertain times to the certain Word. So how do we know God is with us? Well, look at verse 8. The book of the law, which is just another way to say here, the Bible, in this context, we can take it to be all 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, shall not depart from your mouth. That means you should be saying it all the time. But you shall meditate on it day and night. So do you see, how can we know God is with us? Because God has spoken to us. We're to be speaking God's word and putting his word on our lips and meditating on it day and night. It makes perfect sense. We can feel God is with us when we hear him speak. Imagine, if you will, you have a lazy Saturday afternoon. You happen to doze off on the couch. And your frenzy, frenetic house as you fell asleep when you wake up, is completely silent, and everybody is seemingly gone. It's quiet, and the quiet stillness is a bit eerie. And as you open your eyes and see that the lights are off, and don't hear any noises, and you flip your feet around and put them on the floor, you cry out, or you call out, Hey, is anyone here? And from the next room, you hear a voice that says, Yeah, in here. And then you know you're not alone. That's the way the word of God is to function for us. Sometimes we can find ourselves in life situations where we feel the eerie stillness of solitude. And we wonder if anyone's around. And we say, hey, is anyone here? And God says, yeah, here I am. Right here. That's why we need to have the word of God resounding in our lives. We need to have the word of God constantly on our lips. See, this is one of the reasons in our worship service, when we gather together Sunday after Sunday, you're going to see that we sing songs patterned on God's word. We read scripture so that we can put it in our minds and put it on our lips. And then we're going to preach from sections of the scriptures so that we can have these things on our lips and meditate on them throughout the week. That's why we're doing this, not just because we're Christians and that's kind of what we have to do and we have a Bible, we might as well use it. That's not the idea. No, when we read God's word, we're giving a sense that God is with us because where God has spoken, God is there. And so we're to put God's word on our lips. We're to meditate on him. Meditation does not mean emptying your mind like the Eastern religions and Eastern philosophies define it. Their goal is to empty the mind and think about nothing as a means of comfort. Christian meditation is the opposite. Instead of emptying our minds, Christian meditation means to fill our minds with God's word. That's what meditation is. Now, you might think, well, how do I even do that? Meditation. See, I think a lot, many, many people, I put myself in this category, can read the Bible, but yet may not meditate on it. I know 
from my own personal perspective, there are times where I've read the Bible through maybe in a year or some other pattern, and I did it to read it, but yet, and check the boxes, but yet I didn't take the Bible with me. I didn't take a part of the Word of, the God, word of God on my lips or meditated, meditate on it in my mind. I didn't take it with me, but I checked the box. For the Word to resound, we should read God's Word, but also... We should put it on our lips and talk about it with others and talk about it with ourselves in our own minds. See, I think of meditation as like a conversation. I speak God's word to him and think about what he says to me. And it starts a conversation. Now, I'm ashamed to admit that it takes me a long time to get my mind in the right place so that I meditate on God's word. But what I try to do is take one small section of one part of scripture and take it with me, put it in my pocket, and think about it during the day. Otherwise, someone asks me, did you read the Bible? Yeah, I read the Bible. I checked the box. I want to do more than check the box. I want God's word to resound in my life. I want God's word to sing in my life. I want God's word to function for me. I want God's word to be on my lips And I want to meditate on God's word. So I need to do more than just check the box. So here's what I try to do. Here's an example of what meditation might look like from part of Psalm 16. Which is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So I'm going to, this is a scary thing, but I'm going to bring you in my mind. And kind of have a conversation that you'll overhear that I might have with myself as an example of meditation. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Lord, I cannot protect or preserve myself. I am utterly dependent on your protection and yours for security. Lead me away from the temptation to think that I can order my own life in such a way that I can preserve myself. Or that if I'm in control of all the variables of my wife and kids and money and everything else, I will be able to protect myself. I recognize I can't lead myself away from temptation. I can't lead myself away from the evil one. I need you to protect me. Only you can preserve me. And I'm grateful that there is no power that can shake me from your loving protection. At the same time, I must take refuge. I must not just sit around, Lord, and wait for you to protect me. I must actively take my refuge in you. I must move to take refuge in you. I must not be passive and wait to feel like moving toward you. No, I must take refuge in you. I must be constantly moving toward you in prayer and worship and reading the scriptures and putting your thoughts in my mind. I must not take refuge in financial security, personal reputation, or family peace. Help me not to take refuge in what other people think of me or how I feel at the moment. Give me the strength to constantly move toward you so that you can, so that I can take refuge in you because only you can preserve me. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I need to say this out loud, Lord, because I don't think that. I think I've got a great many good things apart from you. I think I can do so much apart from you. I need to say this out loud because I forget it. 
It can seem like you don't see me and you don't know what I'm going through and I have to do everything on my own. But that's not true. I have no good apart from you. I must say out loud, you are my Lord. It can seem like you're far away. It can seem like you're occupied with other people. It can seem like you're occupied with the, with, with the, with the maintenance of the universe. But I know that you are my Lord. That you will never send me away. That I am always welcome. But I need to say out loud, I have no good apart from you. Because most of the time, I think I do. I do. I think I can work things up. I think I can get good things apart from you, but I can't. Help me to remember that, Lord. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Lord, thank you that I am not alone in this life. There are people in my life that are saints, the excellent ones. Help me to overlook the sins of others that affect me because they are the excellent ones. May I take delight in those around me who are Christians. May I delight in them because they are the excellent ones. Thank you for all the blessings that have been resident, that are resident in my life. From other people. There are people who've encouraged me and confronted me, and there are people who regularly remind me that they're praying for me. They are the excellent ones. Help me not to think and be so foolish as to believe that I can isolate myself and protect myself, that I don't need other people. Wrong. Lord, I need the excellent ones. Verse 4 The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Lord, I don't sit in judgment of anyone. Far be it from me. And it's only by your grace that I don't run after other gods. I know people who are running after gods and the sorrows of their life is multiplying. Let me be a light. Let me be a light to these people who are running after other gods, who haven't experienced satisfaction in you. Give me an opportunity for people like Stephen and Kelsey and Jaden and Casey and James and Harriet. Give me an opportunity to share the good news of the God that does not multiply sorrows, but multiplies grace and mercy. May I not be tempted to run after the gods of money or career or reputation or health or family or legacy. But instead, may I not take those names on my lip as a god to worship because my sorrows would only multiply. I say again to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. I would rather be nowhere else. Verse 5, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I might say, help me to remember the only place I can find contentment is in you. You are my chosen portion and my cup. You are my chosen portion and my cup. It's good to remember, Lord, that if I have nothing else but you, I have everything 
If I could choose from all the portions in all the world, you are my chosen portion. And even better, you hold my lot. You are the best. You provide for me in ways I could never ask. You hold my lot. How foolish it is for me to have a plan for my life and assume that you need to conform to that. No, you hold my lot. If I held my own lot, it would be a complete disaster. But I am yours, and I am glad. I am glad. Bring it to mind, the words of Jesus, when he says, what does it profit a man when he gain, if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And lastly, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You have me where you want me now. The station and situation I am in life is where you want me now. I do not understand always how the boundary lines fall, but I know you've put them there. Help me to be content. Help me to recognize that the experiences of my life are not random, nor are they happenstance. You've set boundaries in my life for my good. Help me not to buck against them. May I have eyes to see your goodness to me. Your purposes for me cannot be thwarted. Thank you for all the pleasant things you've given me in food, people that I can call in the middle of the night if I need help. Thank you for clothing, a roof over my head, the sun in the sky, water, air, transportation, these things and many more you have provided for me. Even more, I am grateful that there is a beautiful inheritance awaiting me and one day I will see you. You are keeping that inheritance away from all moth and rust. It is an inheritance I could never earn. It's one I could never grasp. It's one that I could never squirrel away. But it's one that you have made and given for me, and it is a beautiful inheritance. One day I will see it when I see you. That's what meditation might be like. Start a conversation and keep it going. You see, that we didn't even make, we barely made it through half of Psalm 16. Pick a psalm, pick a verse, take it with you. Pick a section of, a, of a, an epistle and take it with you. Take it with you. Put it in your mind. Put it like a piece of gum in your mouth that you chew and chew and chew. But this gum isn't going to be like cheap gum. It's going to keep its flavor. And in fact, the flavor is going to go better and better and better and better. Because when you meditate on God, you will be confident that he is with you. That he is with you. See, our call as a church, as a people, is to have the word of God resound in us each individually. The word of God, Lord willing, will resound from our Sunday services as we sing to Jesus, as we pray in his name, as we read from his word, as we hold Christ and him crucified on high. But also, the word of God must resound from all of our lives. From all of our lives. We must all be people informed by this book. We must be people instructed by this book and guided by this book and directed and led and built by this book. You see, if the Word of God does not resound in us, there is not a possibility that it will resound from us. The 
Word of God must resound in us. May it resound in us. So how can the Word of God resound in our lives in 2020 and beyond? A few ideas as we close. Get to know God in 2020 by getting to know His Word. That is how you get to know the Lord. How do you get to know the Lord? By getting to know His Word. The Word of God, the Bible, is not God, but you cannot know God apart from His Word. Get to know Him by reading His Word, by studying His Word, by saying His Word, by meditating on His Word, by taking His Word with you wherever you go. Read it however you can. If you need to read it via audio, that's great. You need to decide what works for you too often at the beginning of the year. When we think about Bible reading, we say, okay, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read 12 chapters in the original Hebrew and then I'm going to memorize 14 chapters in Greek and then it's going to be wonderful and I'll have it all memorized. No, we need to maybe just take a step back and realize, okay, realistically, I can do three lines today. Okay, that's enough. Great, you're reading God's Word. Three lines. I'd recommend you pick lines in the epistles and not Joshua because you could run across lines that might not be very helpful. But go to the right section and read what you can read. For me, personally, the beginning of the year, my plan is to read one psalm a day and a few verses from James just so that I can take them with me. How are you going to get to know God better so that his word might resound in you over 2020? In addition to reading his word, may we be a people who meditate on this book in 2020 so that God won't feel distant. God feels distant when we're not listening to him. Pick a small section of scripture and meditate on it. Now, if you don't know where to start, talk to someone you know who's a Christian longer than you and say, what do you recommend? What do you recommend? Where should I go? And I, don't, I do think that it's, if, you're, if you're choosing to read the Bible through in a year, praise God. Praise God and enjoy that. That's wonderful. I've done it before. It's outstanding. But that's not for everybody else. That's not for everybody, I should say. Don't feel guilty if that's not your plan. Make a plan, read the Bible, and take the words with you as you go throughout your day. It's not as if God directed on high, Thou must read the Bible through every year. No, just read the Bible. Take his words with you. Because we want to be a people of the book, informed by the book, instructed by this book, guided and directed and led and built by this book. Even if we take this book in a few verses at a time. So we want to we want to get to know God in 2020 by getting to know his word. We want to meditate and uh, meditate in 2020 on meditate on God's word in 2020. We also want to put get to know God in 2020 by putting his word on our lips. That means memorizing. Now, memorize one small section at a time. You don't have to memorize whole chapters. I ran across 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 years ago and in nine less than 9 seconds I memorized 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. You know what that says? Rejoice always. 
boom, I memorized a verse. Now, if I want to go really reckless, I'll do verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Bam, I got two verses down and under my belt. But there's a lot of meat there. There's, there's a lot there. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. When do I rejoice? Always. How, when should I pray? Without ceasing. Pick something small. Start small. Put it in your mouth. Carry it around with you. You see, one of the things that I'm excited about in 2020 is what God might do through us here as a church. Who knows? It seems like we have a new opportunity. It seems like we have a fresh start. It seems like we have this opportunity as we face a new decade with a new name, a new excitement, and a new leaning forward. And I want that to be something that we take advantage of, not because we have great potential amongst us, but because we serve a great God. And I want us to be a people. I want to be a person who has the, the, the word of God resounding from me, not just on Sundays from this pulpit, but every moment of every day. I want to be that kind of person, that kind of man who meditates on the word of God day and night, who does not have the word of God departing from my mouth. And I want that for all of us. Because if the word of God does not resound in us, It will not resound from us. May we, may we, as we look at the new decade, not be primarily defined by optimism or pessimism, but by the Word of God, by this book. And may it resound in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. Thank you for your revealed word, Lord. I'm grateful that each of us have access to your word. We don't have to hide it as we walk into this room. We don't have to hide it as we walk out. We have access to your word. Saints from prior generations, excellent ones before us, have died so that we might be able to put this word into English and put it in books and on our phones and on our iPads and on our Kindles. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would help us not to be a people that ignore your word. I pray that you would help us to hear your voice, that we would help us to listen to you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that we would not be a people that say God seems far away and not read our Bibles. I pray that you would meet us by your presence as we read your scriptures. I pray that your word would be on our lips. I pray that we would be a people that meditate on your word day and night as we come, as we go, as we get up, as we lay down, as we come to work, as we go home. May that word resound in us. And may it come alive. Jesus, we're grateful that the whole word points to you. And we look forward to seeing what you do this year through through your people as as the word of God resounds in them. It's in your name, Jesus, that we give thanks and we pray in your name that we take our stand and we ask 
Let your word resound in us. Amen.